All right. This morning we are going to be in John chapter 11 as we continue through our sermon series looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. He takes on the very name that God gives in Exodus 3 verse 14. And after taking on that name, that I am name, declaring his oneness with the Father, he adds a metaphor to the end of it. And so we reach the fifth, chronologically walking through the scriptures, the fifth I am statement here in John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to take it and turn with me. If you don't have your own copy of scripture, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't own your own copy of God's word, feel free to take that as our gift to you and just let it be a present. We'll put a new one in there before next Sunday. No worries. You are also more than welcome to look on your phone or your tablet or follow along on the screens. But whether you're accessing the word in a digital format or in print, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? Let's look together now at John chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. I'll read for us through verse 44. When I've completed the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look now at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When we started into this series, I did feel very much led to finish our series on 1 Thessalonians. I did feel very led by the Holy Spirit to begin a series spending time with Jesus and what Jesus taught us in these I Am statements through the season of Lent. Lent is 40 days before Easter. And so you have Ash Wednesday and then a Lenten season that begins on Ash Wednesday. And so for the 40 days leading up to Easter, many in Christian denominations across the world spend time fasting and praying and preparing their heart and their spirit for what Easter means and the significance of Easter. Now, when I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to this set of passages, I did not calculate out exactly what would fall where. And so there is a sense of divine appointment and a sense of irony that five years ago, on February 26th of 2017, this was the very passage that I preached on my trial sermon. We looked at a much larger swath of the Scripture, and we weren't focusing on Jesus being the resurrection and the life, but April the 2nd was my first Sunday in the pulpit as your pastor five years ago yesterday. And so here we are, five years later, back in this same passage, and I just see it as sort of a, a little wink from the Lord, a little nod from Him that we're on the right track, we're on the right path, that He brought us back around to this place. I am not smart enough or talented enough to coordinate that on my own. I just knew I was supposed to do the I am statements. And so here we are looking at how Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We've spent this season of Lent thus far talking about how he's the bread of life in John chapter 6. Remember, he is the actual manna, the what is it that people didn't understand who Jesus was and is. He is the manna that came down from heaven, the very bread of life, the one who sustains our existence. He's also the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And then Matthew teaches us that we who believe in Jesus are also the light of the world. And then as he continues, he goes to John, we go to John chapter 10 and he's the door of the sheep. Remember how out in the pasture, the shepherds who were good shepherds would actually make a sheepfold out of stones. They'd improvise some sort of containment for the sheep through the night and they didn't have a door. So the sheep would have to use the shepherd as a door. The shepherd would prop up in the only opening in and out of the sheepfold. And so when Jesus says he is the door, he means that he is the only way to come into his flock or to go out of 
his flock. It's only through Jesus. He is also the good shepherd. And we talked about last week how he lays down his life for the sheep. We talked about a hired hand. The Pharisees being the example of that hired hand would not lay down their lives for the sheep. They cared too much about the offerings and the tithes and the money that was given. They cared too much about the rules that they made up. But Jesus follows in the line of David. David tended his father's sheep. And David put his life on the line when the lion came, when the bear came. He fought them off for the sake of his father's sheep. Jesus is the one who will leave the 99 and pursue the one. And that may not make a lot of sense to us, but what we talked about last week was that it's much more for us like our house is on fire. We got four of our kids out and one child is still stuck in the house. We could count the four that are outside and be content that we managed to keep four of our five children. But if we're good parents, a good shepherd seeks out the one, even if it means going back into the fire, even if it means laying down his life. So now we progress to John chapter 11. And here in John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is extremely sick. And he says, this is really important. This is so important, I'm going to hang out for two more days, and then we'll go see if we can do something about it. And all the disciples are kind of like, "Uh, (laughs) Jesus, man, everybody knows that Lazarus is like your BFFFF, right? He's like your best friend forever and ever and ever. Like, Lazarus is your guy, Jesus. We know you love Lazarus. We know Mary and Martha are so important to you. Bethany is like your headquarters. It's like your home operation. Like the reason our church is named Bethany is because Bethany was so vital to Jesus' ministry. It's one of the most popular church names out there. Just Google Bethany and you'll find at least 35 in the southern half of the state of Alabama. Because this was the central hub. If anybody was going to receive healing and special attention from Jesus, you would think it'd be Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There are people that go so far as to say that the way that they describe Lazarus in this chapter is Lazarus could potentially be the author of the whole book. Now, I don't believe that, but there's a lot of people that make that argument because in chapter 11, do you know how it describes Lazarus? The one whom you love is sick. Everywhere else, when the author refers to himself, he says, the one whom Jesus loved. People take it that far. That's just to show you how much Jesus cared for Lazarus. I don't think that Lazarus was the author of the Gospel of John. I think John was the author of the Gospel of John. That's why it bears his name. But you got to see here, this is a very special relationship. This is your friend calling you in the middle of the night. Man, i got to move a piano. And you're like, dude, I'll be there in a week. No, i got to move the piano. I'm going to have to call somebody else if you're not going to be here. Jesus doesn't go at all. And so every person that he meets along the way when he finally does arrive... Four days after Lazarus died, everybody walks up to him. Jesus, if you'd have just been here. Jesus, if you'd have just been here. Jesus, if you'd have just been here. But he describes all along the way that everything about this series of events is for the glory of God. And you know, that's what you and I forget in our lives. We forget that every single aspect of our life is supposed to be for the glory of God of God. If we go through trials, if we go through hardships, if we're blessed with riches beyond measure, it is for the glory of God. We have a responsibility to live our lives and dedicate our lives in a way to God 
that glorifies Him in all that we say, in all that we do, in how we plan our lives, in how we put our calendars together, in what we decide to do as a vocation, in how we decide to raise our children, in who we decide to marry, in how we go about burying someone who has passed away. Every facet from the cradle to the grave is designed to glorify God. And the story of Lazarus is a story of a man who, in order to glorify God, God demanded his life. He had to die. Lazarus, you're going to be remembered for thousands of years. Your life is going to bring untold, unmeasurable glory to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But in order for that to happen, you're going to have to die. And then Jesus is going to bring you back from the dead. Then you're going to have to die a natural death again later. Lazarus had to die twice. He didn't just stay alive. He's not like alive sneaking around somewhere today. He died Jesus brought him back and he had to die again. You and I, we live our lives under the impression that it is about making ourselves comfortable and doing what is the least amount of hassle and doing what is most convenient for us. We will barely inconvenience ourselves for our family. Sometimes we will inconvenience ourselves for friends, hardly for acquaintances. But it's about what makes us happy. It's about what makes us comfortable. It's about what makes us convenient. And the thing is, it's ingrained into how we think and operate. It is a subconscious urge and desire to make ourselves comfortable and happy. And oftentimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. The question that Jesus asks to Martha is the question that the Scripture asks to us today. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Verse 26. Then he says, do you, Martha, believe this? And what's her reply in verse 27? Well, yeah, Lord, I believe you're the Christ. I believe you're the son of God who's coming into the world. That's the conversation we have with Jesus every single day. When we make decisions, when we set our priorities, when we live our lives, is it going to be about our convenience, our happiness, our comfort, or are we going to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that whoever believes in him, though they die, they will live, and whoever lives and believes in him will never die? Do you believe this? Well, yeah, of course I do. Of course I believe. We give lip service to it. But what has she already said? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. So she can give the right answer. She can give a good church answer, right? She can say, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. She can tell Jesus the truth about who he is. But does she believe it in her life, in her very soul, in the core of who she is? Does it affect every decision that she makes in life? She's still mad at the Lord. She's still frustrated that he didn't get there on time. She doesn't understand how this is supposed to glorify God. I know that you're the Christ. I know that you're the Son of God. But I don't get this whole resurrection stuff. And even when Jesus tries to comfort her, your brother will rise again, verse 23. Man, don't worry about it. Your brother's going to rise again. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Does that not sound like us? Do you know that there's hope and life in Jesus because Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Yeah, I mean, I know. 
He's the resurrection. He's the life. One day there'll be a resurrection. I mean, I get it. That's how Martha responds to Jesus. That's why Jesus asks her, do you really believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you actually believe this stuff? Do you actually understand it and comprehend it? Or do you just know it and give it lip service? Bethany, do we understand and comprehend Jesus is the resurrection and the life? In this statement, Jesus doesn't say that the resurrection is an event that we look forward to in the future. He says the resurrection is a person. We have to stop living our lives as though the resurrection is an event coming one day in the future. So we just mull through life humdrum, trying to live for ourselves, trying to live to make us happy, making little idols out of all the things that we like most, giving no thought to who Christ is when Christ is the resurrection. He's not an event that's coming. He is resurrection. He is life. He's not talking about some day you look forward to. I love that song, what a day that will be. And it will be a day and there will be a judgment day that comes. That's an event that's coming. But if you want to experience resurrection, it's a person, not an event. And too many of us are living our lives, myself included, like Jesus is not the resurrection, like Jesus is not the life. It's like we have decided that the game is won and we stop playing to win, we just start playing not to lose. Have you ever watched your favorite team? Like the first half, they absolutely destroy the other team. Regardless of what sport it is, regardless of what game it is. You get to the second half of the game, and you watch them start to slip, right? And the, the other team's just gaining points little by little, and growing and growing, and here they come, making a comeback, and the whole time you're like, all right, let's go back to what we were doing on the first half. You were attacking, you were winning, let's go back to attacking. And they're like, well, we just don't want to lose this lead that we've got. You know, we'll, we'll take a shot, but hey, if it goes in, it goes in. We just want to hold them at bay. Just run down the clock. Folks, we're living like the resurrection is an event, and we're running down the clock to get to it. Listen, I, I don't know if you've ever read the scriptures from cover to cover, but if you do, you don't find the word retirement in there at all. You don't find the word cruise control in there at all. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If we want life, if we want to experience resurrection, we have a relationship with him day by day and we stop playing it safe. Because playing it safe is another way of saying I don't really believe that Jesus will keep me safe. Because death is the worst thing we can think of. Because what if we die? What if we're ruined? And Jesus let Lazarus die to glorify himself and the Father. And some of us think, what if, what if God lets that happen to us? What if God lets that happen to me? What if God lets that happen to my kids? What if God lets that happen to somebody I care about? What if their life is lost and then he gets all this glory and all this fame and people come to him in droves, but I still miss my brother, my sister, my mother, my kid. I still miss that person who was stolen from me with cancer. What if that happens, preacher? What do I do? I think one day you get to heaven and you ask Lazarus, hey, do you regret having to die for Christ? Hey, when you came back to life and you came hopping up out of that grave because you was all tied up, 
Did you feel humiliated and embarrassed? Did you regret that Jesus was four days late? Did you wonder, man, if Jesus would have got here, I wouldn't have had to die in the first place. I think his answer might surprise you. Is it worth living for Christ or is it not? Are we going to be devoted to him who is life or are we not? Do we believe it or do we not? And I feel like so many of us, this conversation that Jesus has with Martha and then Mary, back to back, these are the most devoted of devoted people. These are not Pharisees. These are not the people that Jesus is making the butt of the joke. This is not the person that Jesus is talking sharp against. This is his home base. These are the people who give him the most love and the most support and the most caring. These are the people that should be his favorites. And this is how he talks to them. Do you really believe? When it says that Jesus was filled with emotion, everywhere else that that Greek word is used in the New Testament, it means that he was filled with indignation, that he was angry, that he was furious, that he was moved with anger. These two times in chapter 11, we, we translated he was deeply moved. Or there was a stirring in his spirit. And he did weep, but something hurts him that they respond in this way. That Mary and Martha don't get it more than what they do. And folks, that's, that's you and I. We're supposed to get it. We're supposed to know he's the resurrection and the life. And that might mean that our kids are called to go overseas. It might mean that the Lord says, I want you to go to Ukraine where the fighting is the most intense. And even right now, as I say that, I know all across this room, so many of you are going, I'm not going to go there. You're not showing it on your face, but it's in my mind, it's in my heart. A very good friend that Jessica used to work for at a company called Student Life. He's the president of, of, of what that company was. And, and he's got seven or eight kids that he's adopted several. I mean, it, just an incredible man. And he's a very wealthy man. And he made arrangements to take relief and support to Ukraine. And he showed up there in Ukraine. And when Jessica told me about it, I went, why is he going to Ukraine? They're like fighting. They're shooting one another. Like he needs safe passage just to get there. Can't he like give those supplies to somebody else that's already like making runs? That's our mindset. That's how we live as Christians. There's somebody else out there that's doing this and we can give them money or we can give them stuff to take. But what if God is calling us to go? Because he's the resurrection. And the worst thing that can happen to us in this life is they take our life. Oh, no. My time on earth was cut short by 20, 30, 40 years. Ah. I made it to glory that much faster. I'm not saying that we have a death wish. But we hold on to this life and we strangle it. And I got it. And I'm never going to let it go. And God says he's the resurrection and the life. If you want to live, you take up your cross and you follow him. A cross was a symbol of execution. A cross was a symbol of death. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. You follow Jesus. You carry your death on your back and say, I'm ready to die at a moment's notice because I'm following the resurrection and the life. And though I die, I will live. 
And we stop acting like we're defeated. We stop acting like the devil has some sort of power over us. We start living in victory. We start living as though the resurrection lives in us. As though we have life. As though we can get resurrection because we know who resurrection is. And we stop living like cowardly Christians afraid to take a risk. Or afraid of our kids taking a risk. Or afraid of our grandparents taking a risk in their retirement. And saying, even though I'm done with work, I'm going to do everything I can to make God's kingdom go forward. And we stop sitting on the sidelines and we stop playing not to lose. And we remember that this is about the kingdom of God. This is about souls destined for hell. And we start playing to win because we know who the resurrection and the life is. So this morning it's simple. I'm not going any further. It's 1146. Write it down. We're done. We're going to read this verse one more time. But when I read it, I want you to hear Jesus saying this to me. I want you to hear Jesus saying this to you. I want you to close your eyes as I read these verses. And I want you to imagine you're standing face to face with Jesus. Just like Martha was standing face to face with Jesus. And Jesus looked at her and he said to her, close your eyes, see him there. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Church, do you believe this? If you've never believed it, I beg you to believe it today. If you've been believing it for years, but maybe you realize you've been playing not to lose instead of playing to win. I beg us to let there be a change in our hearts so that the way that we live matches and proves we believe that resurrection is not an event coming. It's a person. And that person is Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. That, Lord, you offer salvation freely. Lord, forgive us when we keep taking ourselves out of the game. Forgive us when we sit on the sidelines and claim to be a part of the team when we do nothing to contribute. Forgive us, Lord, when we say we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But, Lord, we're not willing to live radical lives. Lives that are drastically different from those around us. Lord, help us to trust that you are the resurrection. And that even if we die, we will live because of you. Help us to believe that and live that day to day. Help us, Lord, to reorder our priorities. So that our lives look like we believe in you. Lord, thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in you. We don't have to worry about perishing. We can live with reckless abandon. For you and for your kingdom. Because even if we die. Then we will live. 
Father, we ask that you would take these moments to come, that you would use this time, that you would help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you move and cause us to respond in obedience to you and to your word. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.